Hello, and welcome to Awesome Leaders, Lessons for Food Business Success. This is a podcast aimed at supporting the development and growth of women-owned food and beverage processing businesses in the Canadian prairies. Our guests include industry experts as well as food and beverage entrepreneurs to provide knowledge, real-world examples, and inspiration. My name is Bailey Gervais, and on behalf of the Awesome Program, I'll be your host today. Today's episode will be another two-part podcast, and this time on the topic of product costing. We have a great guest expert joining us today. Her name is Tahira Fadali. Tahira is a CPA with 12 years experience in accounting and finance and is the owner of her own consulting business, Tula CPA, in Saskatoon. She holds a BCom from McGill University in Montreal and completed her professional designation while working at KPMG in London, England. Following this, she spent four years in Toronto working at McCain Foods on their global finance team in a number of different roles where she had the opportunity to travel to over 20 global sites in 12 different countries, learning and sharing best practices for product cost management. For the last two years, she's been supporting business owners with financial management, accounting, and taxation to ensure their financial success. Outside of her professional life, Tahira is a world traveler, a trained yoga teacher, a bookworm, a mother, and a wife. So without further ado, welcome Tahira. Hi Bailey, how are you today? I'm great. It's so nice to meet you and thank you for being here. As I was putting together your bio, I was just thinking that the unique experience that you have of being in global food business and accounting and then owning your own business and being a female entrepreneur, it's just like makes you a perfect, perfect fit for this podcast. So definitely happy that you agreed to chat with us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Yes, that experience from McCain makes me really passionate about the topic we're going to talk about today. Amazing. So before we get too far into our conversations, I want to let our listeners know that Tahira has provided a spreadsheet that you can access from a link in our show notes. I find when I'm doing anything with numbers that a visual is pretty crucial. So This worksheet has an example in it, um, as well as a blank template that you can use to kind of workshop your own numbers. So just save a copy of it and and then you'll be able to fill it out. So the topics of product costing and pricing are ones that we get a ton of questions about from business owners. Uh, They can be complex and things can vary product to product. And numbers and financials can kind of make or break a business, obviously. So you don't have a handle on it. It can be pretty detrimental. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. And I find too that a lot of people start a food business or, or any business in general, really, because they've got a passion for a certain recipe or solving a a problem and they don't necessarily have that exact same passion or interest in working with numbers and margins. So it can be a little overwhelming and it's tempting not to dig into it, but I'm glad you're you're here to help us conquer our fears. So yeah, and just to (laughs) let all those people know that they're not alone, right? They are those are the majority of business owners, the ones that don't have the experience and numbers. And so but you know, we're getting the support you need or um, is really important in running a business. For sure. So 
We've got members um, of the awesome program and listeners that are kind of across the spectrum of the business life cycle. So I was thinking that why don't we just start at the beginning and you can tell us about what is product costing and what are the elements that go into it. Okay, so let's talk about this question that I have to ask you. What is my product cost? So you need to be able to clearly answer this question to ensure your business is sustainable. Product costs, we know, is a foundational building block of our pricing. And if you don't know how much your product costs, you can't price it competitively or sustainably. And we know in the food business, this is really important. So having a clear idea of your product cost will empower you when you are negotiating price with future customers. It will allow you to be clear on your lower limits and at which point you can't sell your product because you don't want to be selling your product at a loss. And we know that bargaining power is a is important depending on your sales channel, right? With the larger grocery chains, you probably have a lower bargaining power. And so it's really cl- crucial to understand your lowest acceptable price. You need to continuously monitor your product costs because costs can cre- creep up. And then if they get above your sales price, you need to react quickly. And, you know, you have two choices when this happens. You either reduce your product cost or increase your sales price. And most likely you probably want to go into trying to reduce your price before going to your customer and increasing your sales price. Okay, so what goes into my product cost? So there's three elements here. There's my direct materials, which are my ingredients. There's direct labor, so direct costs to convert my raw materials to my finished goods, right? And this is probably a part that's often not really um, factored in when we're starting our businesses because we're making the thing and we just factor in our ingredients. But to build a sustainable business of whatever you're making and selling, this eventually has to be factored in and it's better to factor it in from the beginning than having to go back and then change your price with your customers. And and it, it often is, like labor is a big part of making a food product, right? So that's a really important element. The third factor is manufacturing overheads. These are all indirect costs associated with production. So rent, utilities, management salaries, any expense that you need to turn that um, material into, uh, get that material onto the shelf, right? that's not a direct cost, indirect cost, these also have to be factored in to our products. And then we allocate, we can allocate these based on estimate of total production volume and then spread them out over our products. And would that include things like initial investments into equipment or is there a way of kind of amortizing that? Yeah, you would am- you would probably amortize that over like maybe five to 10 years, depending on what it was, and then spread that out. Or other okay. the, uh, the flip side of overheads is if you're not computing them, then you're making sure that margins cover all these overheads. So there's kind of two ways of looking at it, but you do want your pricing to include some sort of overhead, at least for like, say the production facility, at least. All right. Um, is there like certain things things that you've noticed or categories within these that tend to get overlooked? Yeah. So I would say, as I mentioned, direct labor. Um, We know that, so if I give you the example of McCain, so I worked in McCain Foods for four years and we were going around to all the factories because we had a huge cost savings project. 
you know, we knew that. And so just to give some perspective is like, if we wanted to reduce our costs in McCain for the cost of producing a French fry, the biggest cost we had to go off after was direct labor in the factories because, and most, we probably all start this way. We all start with a very heavily labor intensive product and then maybe slowly move to more automation. But, and, and this is maybe more um, an issue in like a bigger factory, but you know, sometimes you get more automation, but the head count still stays. And so you have to like keep changing your organization to keep up with those changes. So I think maybe the more relevant thing to note for small business food owners, food owners is that, you know, your labor is probably you and mm-hmm. you need to put that into your cost. So whether it's like timing, you know, if you um, separate what you're doing, your process into junks and figure out, okay, how much time do I spend on each part? And what, what would I have to pay someone to replace me eventually to do this? And how should, and that will help you factor in the cost of labor into your product. But yeah, really important. And I think for, again, for any business when they're getting started and before all the systems are figured out, it's going to be a lot more labor probably than once you're rolling and you've got those processes figured out. So that's good, but you still, you do need to, you know, if this is going to be more than a hobby for you, then you, if you want it to be your lifestyle and your income, then definitely need to value yourself and I've noticed that um, women and particularly in food business, they tend to undervalue their labor and sometimes have the mindset of like, oh, well, I just really love cooking or I enjoy this part of the process. So I don't mind not charging for it. But it's like you said, you know, if you ever want to have somebody replace you, it's yeah, it gets to be a bit of a, a slippery slope. Yeah, for sure. And then the other part is, you know, you're most likely starting when you start making something you're making in your home. So those are some other expenses that you're not incorporating into your product costs. But so it's always having that mindset of how can I price my product if I'm not making it myself and I'm not making it in my house? That's where you want to start um, and really pricing that out so that you're incorporating the even if you're using your any oven, like the energy that's being used, the lights are on. So that's that's a cost. Like everything, the facility, like maybe cost out the re- the rent that of your the cost of renting out your kitchen, and incorporating that is just make you well set up for growth and create less headaches in the future. Yeah, because if your customers get kind of used to one price, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I need to grow, and I. I need to jack up my prices. That could be a little dicey. Yeah. And we know customers are very sensitive with price when it comes to food. So it's probably the hardest, (laughs) one of the hardest things to increase a price on. So yeah, starting, if you can start incorporating all the costs from the beginning, that will just set you up um, for success in the future and making sure that your business is sustainable. Okay. So let's talk about how are you tracking your costs? If you're not comfortable working with numbers, get help from someone who can help track your numbers down, whether that's like when you're starting out like a family member or something. And I will say use a spreadsheet to start, right? Spreadsheets are such great tools. 
um, especially for business owners. And so maybe try to learn how they work. And you can even just learn the very basics, like even just knowing the very basics about spreadsheets can help so much with things like product costing. And then inventory management system eventually, I think, and I know a lot of these online sales platforms now have some sort of inventory management system in them. So use tools like that to keep track of your inventory because you want to know, especially with inventory of your raw materials too, because you need to keep track of things like what happens when, like how much waste is there in your, in your process and your and within, within a year so that you can better plan for the next year to reduce that waste. You need some data points to be able to improve your cost base, right? And we know improving our cost base is so important in the food industry. How should I keep track of my costs? Okay, so you start with setting a standard cost for your product to keep track of your inventory, right? So you're going to do the exercise maybe to, to begin with, how much does my product cost? And then that's going to be the set cost of your product when you're doing all your accounting and how when you're valuing your inventory at the end of every month. So yeah, you perform a detailed inventory count at least every month to understand your units sold each month and how, you know, what's what's being sold, what's maybe gone, um, what's kind of had to be destroyed or anything just to keep track of things like this so that we get better at managing them. And then we also need to regularly monitor that our actual costs versus that standard cost that we set, right? Because, you know, things can start to creep up in terms of our raw materials. And then suddenly our, um, if we're not keeping track of the variances and suddenly our product is costing more than we thought. Sorry, at that point, would you like revalue your inventory? Yeah. At some point when your cost variances, when you're noticing patterns that like maybe on a month to month basis, you always have additional cost variances, then yes, you think, okay, I need to um, change my standard cost to update it for sure. Okay. And then sometimes eventually you might outgrow a spreadsheet. So I think another question is like, well, when do I move to something more complicated? And mm -hmm. what I will say there is there's no specific sales number to decide when it makes sense to move to a more um, sophisticated system. I would say just use a spreadsheet until it's working for you. I think you'll know when a spreadsheet can no longer handle all the function and is maybe taking you more time than, than, it's, than it, it's worth it. And that's where you might want to move to a, a more sophisticated costing or inventory system. But a spreadsheet can work for, should be able to work for a long time, but don't worry about like a certain sales number. Just think about when um, when it feels like you've outgrown the spreadsheet. Maybe you mm -hmm. have like 30 SKUs and 60, 60 sheets on your spreadsheet. Okay, maybe it's time to move to a more sophisticated system. And then so things to consider when moving to a system. And this can actually be a, be a way to assess kind of making any investment and in like equipment. So compare the cost of the system to how much you will save, how much you might save in time, and then maybe what that increased accuracy of your data will get you. Maybe it'll get you, um, you know, you can react more quickly and you're, you're making better decisions which are impacting your, your, your financials more positively. And knowing that making any investment in the business might take a number of years to pay off, and that's okay too, but just, just running the numbers to understand what the what the difference is between what you're paying and what you're getting. And then you'll, you'll decide like what payoff 
period makes sense for you, yeah, it'll just, I think you have to decide what, what you're willing to accept. You know, you can look at things like return on investment and maybe look at like what are some standards for certain investments. And then knowing that some systems are generic, so they may never be perfect for your specific business. Lots to always lots to consider when switching systems and it can take a long time to learn a new system too and all that. So Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So factor in all the additional costs. Like, you know, you know the you might know the shelf price of buying something, but then there's yeah, there's time, there's insurance. If you're say you're buying a new piece of equipment, insurance, installation costs. So making sure you're costing out the full cost of investing in something and trying to get as much information about that cost up front. What are some of the key things to watch for when you're using this inventory tracking? So I wanted to touch on um, two really important metrics that can make or break your business. Okay. Um, I want to bring in my experience again. So when I joined McCain in 2014, they were the world's largest producer of French fries. So they say one in three French fries consumed in the world are McCain French fry, um, which is crazy because they're a Canadian company um, and still like privately owned. Competitors were growing and beginning to take market share away from McCain. And because of the nature of French fries, you know, they're more of a commodity than a premium product. Um, the company knew that they had to reduce their costs significantly if they wanted to grow and remain competitive and maintain their market share. So I was part of a global strategic team looking at how we could reduce our costs across the organization. And although we had to do work in all the areas like HR, sales, marketing, the biggest opportunity was in our manufacturing costs. And for two years, I worked with our VP of manufacturing and we traveled to our factories around the world to collaborate with local manufacturing teams on cost-saving initiatives. And there were many cost-saving projects, but the biggest opportunities for cost savings in our factories was, number one, reducing waste, and number two, reducing direct labor, which I mentioned before. But I just wanted to talk about um, product waste, because this can quickly lose you a lot of money if you don't actively manage it. And the two main components, you know, are raw material waste and finished product waste. So... At McCain, raw material waste was part part dependent on the quality of the crop. You know, sometimes it's out of our control if we're relying on an ag- agricultural product. But we found many opportunities across the manufacturing line where we could reduce waste, such as things like how to minimize pe- peel waste and and use as much potato as possible, right? And, you know, a lot of the times there's, like, always the the magnetic instinct to like, um, it's always attractive to like, look at like, what, what, what new equipment could I use to, um, to, to make my problems go away. But there's actually like, simple, very simple things that you could do. And we were always pushing the factories to come up with like, innovative, low cost opportunities. And like one great example is like, sometimes french fries were just like falling off the line and like, putting a little putting a little stopper in some places would just increase our um, output because we just stopped the french fries from falling off the line. So be innovative and think of fun, creative ways that are like low cost. Waste can easily creep in and become a big cost. So we need to manage that. It can be a big cost for um, food production. Yeah, especially if you're making any sort of like fresh food product you can have waste probably in your raw materials if you if you don't get around to 
processing them on time. And then also with your finished goods, if there were any, you know, shipping delays or anything like that, those can all cause uh, waste as well. So food is, food is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And then back to direct labor, you know, I mentioned before, but what we found was that these cost savings were not always a result of like investment in new machinery. And of course, most facilities we visited wanted to buy new equipment. But what we did was always a full labor study at each facility to understand how many people were on the factory floor versus how much was needed to complete each task to figure out what the optimal staffing was versus Mm -hmm. our current staffing level. So, you know, like for food companies that are maybe at that level where they do have people in place doing certain things, I think like monitoring and even just getting a bit ruthless sometimes, it's like doing time studies. How long does each process take? And then how many things do I need to make? How many am I making a day? And so how much time is needed? Like getting that granular instead of just... um, hiring someone a day and seeing whatever output they come out with, like keeping an eye on those sort of things could, could have a huge impact on your profitability. Yeah. And it could even be something simple as like how your kitchen's set up. Like, could you have less steps involved to your storage units or, you know, optimizing kind of the flow of how everything's going through could, could actually make a big difference. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we found is like sometimes it was just, I mean, I was doing these time studies and I was by far no expert in manufacturing, but sometimes just a fresh set of eyes. So maybe get someone else to like come audit your process and um, having that third set of eyes, whether they understand your process or not, just seeing it from a different lens, they might suggest some efficiencies that you don't see because you're in it every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good idea. How does figuring out the cost of your product relate to setting the price of your product? Great question. So when it comes to pricing, um, there's two approaches you want to take. There's the top-down approach, which is kind of like the 50-foot, 50,000-foot view of your business. And there's a bottom-up approach. So I'll go through both and then we'll talk about how. And the bottom-up approach is where you use your product costs. But so the top-down approach is where you're doing kind of maybe a high-level forecasting for a a period of time, say a month, uh, six months, a year. So you use your unit sales price um, and annual volumes to forecast total annual sales. You list all your costs, your direct costs and your overhead expenses. And then so what will happen is your total sales less your direct costs, less overhead expenses will equal your net profit. So sales minus expenses equals your profit. Then you decide if the forecast profit is in line with your expectations. As if it's like a, if you're one person running this business or if you're five, is, is it worth your time to run this business for like that money that's coming in at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And then that tells you that if, if no is the answer, if it's like there's $10 left after everything and you haven't even incorporated your salary, that tells you, well, there's something that's not quite right here. This this is this might not be a feasible business. And that might tell you, okay, so either my expenses are too high or my sales are too low. Um, and so then you keep tweaking that until that number makes sense to you and really is you just it's worth your time to run this business. And then you want to do bottom up approach too, which is a more detailed approach. So 
cost each product, including direct and overhead costs like we discussed, and then costing your product based on estimated total volumes because you're allocating some of those overheads to each of your product. That's really important. And then what you can do is determine your sales price based on either a percent markup of your cost or a percent margin. Or if you decide you want a certain margin, then you mark up to make sure you have that margin at the end. And those percentages, like you could probably do some research. I know people often ask like, what margin should I have? Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, and I know within the food industry, like a lot of the products are quite quite cost um, competitive. So you might not have that much room, but maybe even if you could like cost out, like even try to cost out a competitor's product, right? And see what kind of margin they're making or... Or you can like Google, sometimes you can Google like average margin for like bread and maybe you'll get some data. There's a lot of data on industry. There are a lot of industry reports. So I'd say just try to seek out some industry information, but there's no, I don't think there's any, like there's no one margin for across all companies. It's very specific to what you're making. And then at the same time, knowing that that margin then you'll then you'll have additional costs like marketing and sales and distribution and so you knowing that those will have to cover those expenses and leave a profit after that ideally right and that's that's the goal of your business yeah and you'll have to you know like the the price that something is sold at at the store is not the price that you sell it obviously to the store so right. you have to be able to make your margin and then also have the store make their margins. And then the last thing is, you know, you've, if you do the top down and the bottom up, you compare them both um, until the sales price matches in both scenarios. And that's how you'd have a really sound plan, like financial plan for your food business. Oh, there's a lot to, a lot to consider. <laughs> yeah. And I think also with the with the pricing, yet, yet another factor that can go into it is the kind of the psychology and the niche, like what niche you're going after and the branding side of things. So, you know, if it's really important to you that you're using local or whatever, there's obviously going to be increased costs with that. So then maybe you need to be trying to recoup that from your from your marketing at a higher price. So yes, definitely. Like that's pro you, what, what's your positioning in the market? Are you premium product? Um, yeah. Or are you just trying to be the lowest cost and sell mm -hmm. the highest volume? Understanding mm -hmm. that too is really important. I have several more questions, but I think they'll probably get brought up in part two when we go through the exercise um, with Dahlia. So just a reminder that if you now want to let this information absorb and go and look at um, that worksheet, there is an example in there um, that goes through a product costing um, of, I think it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which is like what I'm eating 60% of the time right now, being 34 weeks pregnant, it's baby's going to be all peanut butter and jelly, but... <laughs> So I love this example. Um, and then there is the blank, the blank uh, template in there as well. So 
Um, okay, well, this has been an excellent overview of the product costing and probably has everyone's brains going, inspired to dig into their numbers. So I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to ask you a couple non-number related rapid fire questions. So um, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Um, do you have a latest food discovery, even like a product or a recipe, something that you've recently come across or rediscovered that you're, you're really liking? I would say my probably most recent favorite thing in the last maybe six months is like kimchi. Mm. Um, and like, I love the, even the naturally amped sauerkraut kimchi. Yeah. And it's just such a great thing to add to like, sometimes that for lunch, I just make like instant noodles, but then I add some of that and it makes it, spices it up a bit. Nice. Shout out to a, shout out to a Saskatoon based product there too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love kimchi. Um, okay. And then the next question is, do you have a work life hack or resource that you've been finding useful? Yes. I recently started using Asana for my business and actually for a lot of the businesses I'm involved with, cause I do, I'm part-time CFO for some other businesses, but Asana is such a great tool to keep track of all the things I'm doing in my business, all the projects that people are like equally managing. And I find it like creates mental space in my brain because I'm not trying to hold all the information of the status of every single thing in my business in my head. Now it's actually just online somewhere. Those project management uh, softwares are great. I was using monday.com for a while and I, I really loved it. It it ended up getting too expensive because I had too many people using it, but um, it was great. And I've kind of since built a few spreadsheets to try and replicate some of the ones that I like the best out of there. But yeah, love, I really love those project man- management tools. So yeah, and the sauna is free, I think, for like if you're just using it by yourself. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. Good yeah. to know. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you, Tahira. Um, This is a complex topic and every individual business has its own challenge and nuances to consider. So I encourage everyone to listen to part two of this topic. And we're going to come back with Tahira to do a coaching session with one of our awesome members, Dahlia Cohen. And then you can try out the exercise on your own business. So uh, Tahira, if people have more questions or want to access your services, how can they reach you or find you? Um, they can find me on my website and um, I'm on Instagram at tula.cpa or feel free to email me and we'll leave that my email address in the show notes as well. Okay, great. Thank you so much. The Awesome Program is an initiative of the Saskatchewan Food Centre. It's funded by Prairie's Economic Development Canada through the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy Ecosystem Fund. We are here to support women-owned food businesses through education, advising, and industry connections. Although we're based in Saskatoon, we serve members in Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. For more info, visit the show notes or head to our website at beawesome.ca.